you are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. We are working through this series called Rekindled. We are taking a look at um, just going through life and sometimes uh, finding maybe our relationship with God has grown cold or, or distant or, or something like that. And how do we how do we reboot? How do we refresh that? We have all kinds of technological issues here in the church. The monitors sometimes don't want to work uh, and, and and do weird things to us. And uh, and also all, all you have to do is turn it off for ten seconds and turn it back on, and it usually works, right? And, and maybe that's what we need too: is just to be turned off for about 10 seconds and then rebooted and, and things start to click again. So uh, we, hope that, uh, we hope that wherever you are in a relationship with God that uh, you find today uh, a bit of a reboot happening. So I want to encourage you to open your Bibles to 1 Kings uh, in the Old Testament, 1 Kings chapter 19. Uh, and we're going to look at a story here. And the, one of the main issues about this story is the problem of isolation. Now, there's times when isolation is a really good thing. Uh, like if the Black Death were still, you know, isolation, you know, would, would be required. Quarantine would be required. But we live in a society that over-isolates. Uh, Max Licato uh, said this. He says, uh, uh, call us a, a fast society, an efficient society, but don't call us a personal society. Our society is set up for isolation. We wear earbuds when we exercise. We communicate via email and text messages. We enter and exit our house with gates and garage door openers. Our mantra has become, I leave you alone, you leave me alone. And uh, yeah, I think he kind of hit the nail right there on the head uh, that... That's part of our culture, is a tendency to isolate. It's part of American, North American Christianity as well. We individualize and privatize faith and sometimes don't realize the cost that might come with that. So today we're going to look at a man that we commonly know as Elijah. Okay, That's, that's how we pronounce it. It's wrong. Uh, that's Not that you have to change your kid's name or anything, but uh, uh, the Hebrew is, is Aliyah. Isn't that weird? Aliyah, not Elijah. So, but I'm going to say Elijah because, you know, that's way you know who I'm talking about. Uh, what do you know about the prophet Elijah? Anything? That, that's an audience participation question. Yes, sir, Joey. He didn't die. He didn't die. What do you mean by that? Uh, he walked straight to heaven, basically. Okay, yeah, he just... He, you know, people talk about the rapture. That's that's what happened to Elijah. He raptured. Uh, he was just carried away. He was translated from an existence here on earth, boom, right into the presence of heaven. And uh, some people think that he went up to heaven in fiery chariots. Nope. He went up to heaven in a whirlwind, but fiery chariots separated him from his friend Elisha. Which sounds like a girl's name, doesn't it? But we pronounce that name wrong, too. Uh, but yeah, what, it, so cool. Elijah's just one of those guys that's freaking cool. Because who does that? Right? Okay, what else do you know about Elijah? He had a showdown with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel? Yeah, he had a showdown with the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel. Uh, the prophets of Baal were a bunch of false prophets. Baal was a Canaanite god that uh, the Israelites were beginning to bow down to. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. And Elijah says, nah, we're not having that. And uh, he does what we all wish we could do, and that's step up 
and uh, and be bold and be brave, and even if you're the only guy doing it at the time, to you know stand stand alone for God. And and Elijah did that. Okay, anything else you know about him? He had a habit of calling fire down on his enemies. Okay, yeah, that happened at the at that same thing. He says, "Okay, we're gonna we're gonna make things blow up here." Uh, yeah, Allie. He was very sarcastic. He was very sarcastic. Why do you say that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll touch on that in a minute too. So that was Elijah, you know. Yes, sir. He was kind of a resistance prophet. He had to hide from like the established authority a lot. Okay, all right. Yeah, he was. You know, he would fit in really well here at Common Ground because he was kind of an uncommon guy. Um, he was a Nazarite, so that meant that he lived under a vow where he did not cut his hair. So Elijah is often described as this man who had this thick head of hair that was just flowing down his back, you know, kind of thing. And he, and he wore uh, camel hair, and he had a cloak made out of, out of sheep's wool kind of thing. So, yeah, he would stand out in a crowd when he, when he would show up. And as we, as we heard, he's kind of a fiery sort of guy, anti-establishment uh, individual, not afraid to uh, stand up for God and call heaven down. So, all right, well, I'm going to do something that probably I'm going to regret. Anybody here good at, you know, do, do you like doing sound effects? You just make noises a lot? Okay, Ransom, come up here. <laughs> I already know I'm going to regret this now because it's Ransom the Raise. Just <laughs> All right. So I'm going to tell a story, and I just want you to provide sound effects to go along with the story. Oh. All right. So just get right down to the mic like that. All right. Oh, we All right. So I got to set up First Corinthians, Corinthians, First Kings 19 by going back to First Kings 18, and that is the story about Elijah and the prophets of Baal. So you can jump in with any sound effect you want at any time. Okay, good. All right, here we go. I hope this works. (laughs) So Israel had forsaken Yahweh, and they were bowing down to this false prophet named Baal. (laughs) And Elijah says, we're not having that. No. So he gets everybody together, and he says, it's time for you guys to make a choice. You're either going to choose Yahweh or you're going to choose Baal. And I'm going to help you make that choice. We're going to set up an altar here, okay? And we're going to put a sacrifice on this altar. And I'm going to let the prophets of Baal call upon Baal. And uh, and, and if, if, if he sends fire down to heaven to consume that, then great, worship Baal, okay? But if he doesn't do that, then I'm going to call upon our God, and uh, and, and, and you're going to worship him, okay? So let's let's see what happens here. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine having that kind of courage, that kind of boldness that just says, you know, we're, let's put God on the spot, so to speak, and, uh, and have him show up. So the prophets of Baal, they're out there, and they're, there's 400 of them, and they are dancing around. Uh, they're, they're putting on this show. They're screaming out to God, or to Baal, up shut, in heaven. Shut, 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 <laughs> And nothing's happening. Crickets. Crickets. And that's when Elijah, as Allie pointed out, 
starts to taunt them a little bit and says, maybe you should yell a little louder. I don't think he can hear you. Sucker. <laughs> apparently, and, and this is how it's translated out of the Hebrew, apparently he's busy in the bathroom. Oh, God. <laughs> Mistakes were made. Mistakes were made. Anyway, they finally just get exhausted. And Elijah says, All right, must be my turn. Rolls up his sleeves on his camel skin. Goes up there and he says, Wait a minute. Hold up. Wait a minute. I asked for it. Before Before I call upon Yahweh, let's get some water. And I want you to pour water on the altar. I want you to soak the wood on the altar. And I want you to soak the sacrifice until there's just standing water here. All right? So he's actually like, let's make it really hard for God. Okay? And then he prays. And fire comes down from heaven. (laughs) Happy birthday. That's your fire from heaven. I didn't didn't know what to do. What are you expecting? (laughs) A nuclear explosion or something? (laughs) Okay, very good. Very good. Trying. All right. Making this hard. (laughs) Somebody's making it hard. (laughs) So, yeah, fire comes out, consumes the sacrifice consumes the wood that the sacrifice is on, even though it's waterlogged, consumes the very stones of the altar, and the water itself is even consumed. Remember Hebrews 12, 29, our God is a consuming fire. And then everybody's just stunned, and Elijah says, all right, die. (laughs) Kind of stole my thunder there. (laughs) Boom. Thunder. Got it. I can do that. He says, all right, Israel. He says, let's put the prophets of Baal to death like we were supposed to many, many years ago during the days of Joshua. All right, let's get Branson out here. So you would probably say 1 Kings chapter 18 was a mountaintop experience spiritually for this guy Elijah. And it's usually the story that we we tend to know best about him because it's so dramatic and it's so amazing. And like I said, I think there's something in us that goes, man, I wish I were like Elijah. I, I, I wish I, I was I, I, that I would stand up for God in that manner and in that form. Okay. Well, believe it or not, we are all very, very much like Elijah because in the very next chapter we find him hiding in a hole. And that's the, the title of this message is Get Out of Your Hole. And you may not realize that, but uh, that, that you may find yourself today tucked away in a hole that you never knew you dug. Uh, hiding in there, waiting for something to happen. So, let's pray, and then I'm going to read the text that we're going to look at from uh, 1 Kings 19, Sands Sound Effects. Thanks again, Ransom. Lord, as we, uh, as we look into your word, we are grateful for it. We are grateful that you are a God who desires to make himself known. You don't hide from us. You don't wind us up and then wander off to let us just bounce around uh, in this universe. Uh, you... You created us with purpose. You created us with your passion. 
And uh, Lord, we need to know that. Uh, we need to know who you are. Thank you that you have created the heavens and the earth in such a way that they remove any excuse that we might have about your existence. But Lord, we need to know more. We need to know uh, more about you other than just the fact that you exist. We need to know who you are and who we are in you. So we pray, God, that as we look into Scripture, that you would just do that, that you would show yourself to us and that you would help us to see who we are uh, in the Scripture as well. So that when we walk out of here, God, we, we will have been uh, confronted by your word, um, that we will have um, been convicted and met with by your Holy Spirit, and that, Lord, we would be found uh, willing to be faithful and obedient uh, to walk in your word in the, in the way that you have for us. So we pray this. We can't do this ourselves, Lord. We pray for you to make yourself known to us and to um, enable us to be the people that you desire, that you're passionate for us to be. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so when we get to 1 Kings chapter 19, this is uh, right on the heels of Elijah's uh, um, killing off of the 400 prophets of Baal. And uh, this was during the reign of King Ahab, who was not a good king in Israel, who was married to a woman named Jezebel, who was uh, a person of such character that nobody on earth ever names their daughter Jezebel. Okay, there's a reason for that. So, chapter 19, verse 1, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, because apparently Ahab is a dirty, rotten tattletale. And how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as one of them by this time tomorrow. And then now remember this guy? This long haired, unfrightened, bold, call fire down from heaven guy we just read about a, a few verses ago. Verse 3. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. We know from another chapter that, that when Elijah runs, he runs fast. Okay, And, and he's, he's like, uh, okay, now Jezebel wants to kill me. I'm out of here. What happened to Elijah? What, what switched in him? And, uh, you know, and, and we might, like I say, we might find ourselves doing the same thing. It's like, what happened to me? Where, where were the days when I was not afraid to tell people about Jesus? What happened to the days when, when I was just really on fire for God? And why, why, what, what flipped the switch? What changed there? So it says that he went all the way to Beersheba, which is a southernmost uh, populated city in the area, which belongs to Judah. And he left his servant there. Now, the fact that he left his servant there seems to be an indication that he is thinking about resigning. That, I'm done. I'm done being a prophet now. If this is the way it's going to go, then I'm quitting. Okay? Verse 4 says, He went himself a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came and he sat down under a broom tree, or a juniper tree. And he asked that he might die. Did you catch that? He, he, he was afraid, he ran for his life, and now he's at the point where he says, I just want to die. I think Elijah struggles with depression and anxiety. We don't think of our Bible heroes having those kind of, I don't know, frailties that we all share, that we all have too, but they do. 
This this long-haired, anti-establishment, wild-eyed hippie freak of a prophet who could stand up the 400 prophets of Baal in an instant can turn into a man that says, I just don't have hope anymore. I think the reason behind that is because Elijah really thought he would see a revival. I think he thought that once that incredible moment happened on Mount Carmel, that finally, finally Israel would get things straight. And it didn't happen, and so now Elijah's questioning his purpose, questioning his existence uh, before God. Uh, He asked that he might die, verse 4, saying, It's enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. He says he just he just came to the point where he says I failed. I, I didn't. I, my forefathers didn't turn people back to to you like they should have. Israel is still a long ways away from you. They are not the nation that you called them to be. I thought that that was going to happen there at Carmel, and it did not. I'm no different than them. So why am I even here anymore? And you know, when we're depressed, at least when I'm depressed, I fall asleep a lot. Well, that's kind of how I self-medicate, I guess. So it says in verse five that he laid down, he slept under a broom tree, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, "Arise and eat." And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones with a jar of water. And he ate and drank, and he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, "Arise and eat." For the journey is too great for you. And he arose and he ate and he drank and he went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. Uh, if, if you're going, Mount of Horeb, what, what is that? Um, there's another name that we know this mountain by that is very familiar to us. He went to Mount Sinai. Okay? So very interesting stuff that's happening here. We've got a we've got a dejected, despondent prophet. Uh, he's ready to give up. He's just done. Um, things aren't happening the way he thinks they should have happened, and he's depressed. And he needed two things. He needed rest, and he needed food. And God supernaturally provided that for him through an angel, and he took care of it. Okay, that's something we see about God right there. Is that even when you're out of whack. And even when you think that maybe, you know, God would be more tempted to just kind of slap us up alongside of the head and say, come on, man up, will you? Instead, he says, let me take care of you. Let me meet your needs here. Let me, let me help you out, okay? So, he's on the mountain of God, that place where Israel met with God, where Moses himself sat basically face to face with God almost. And the, the law was given to them. The covenant was made with Israel to be his special people that would reach all the nations. They would reach all the nations with the hope of salvation from God. But in Elijah's day, even Israel themselves wasn't pursuing that hope. Okay, So he goes back to that mountain. Verse 9 says, Then he came to a cave and he lodged in it. Now here's something really interesting about this statement. Most Hebrew scholars say that that should be translated, and he came to the cave. Not just a cave, but the cave. Now we might wonder, well, what is the cave, you know? Well, it was a well-known cave. It was a landmark. It was something that Israel had experienced from their history. And again, if you go all the way back to Mount Sinai, 
the days of Moses and uh, Israel during the Exodus, there was a time when uh, Moses said, you know what, before we, before we leave this mountain and before we go off into the promised land with you, God, would you just do something? Would you show up? I just need to see you. And then there's that story in Exodus where God says, all right, I'm showing up, but you need to just go crawl into that cave right there, all right? And then turn around, don't face me, okay? And then God covers the mountain with a fog, with clouds. And then he passes by, and even as he passes by, he covers Elijah, or Elijah, Moses, so that he doesn't experience the full-on glory of God because it would have killed him. And, and just that experience, I, I kind of think that, that Moses probably ducked and covered, you know, did the, did the reverse ostrich and was looking between his legs when he saw the, you know, the, the back part of God's legs pass by there. And, and just that, just that exposure was enough that when Moses walked down off the mountain, all the Israelites went, whoa, dude, we didn't bring our foster grants. Put a veil over your face because we cannot stand to look at the glory that's reflecting off of you. Okay? That was an incredible moment at the cave when God passed by. So here's Elijah, and he came to the cave, and he decided to, to camp there. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Now that's a very interesting phrase, because depending on how we emphasize the word, uh, or, or a word in that phrase, it could have a different meaning. You know, like, What are you doing, Elijah? What are you doing, Elijah? Elijah, what are you doing? (laughs) Sounds like a parent. (laughs) The word that should be emphasized in in this statement is, Elijah, what are you doing here? Why are you here? It's interesting that God asked questions like that. Remember when Adam and Eve and they, they ate of the tree that they, you know, God said, no touchy. And they touched and ate, and uh, then they realized right away something was off uh, about what they had just done, and it changed their relationship with God so that instead of being eager to walk with God, uh, when God showed up in the cool of the evening to walk in the garden with them, they, they ran and hid. And God said, Adam, Eve, where are you? Not like God was, you know, blind. Not that he didn't know. He knew exactly where they were, but he had to ask that question so that they could confront it within themselves. Yeah, where are we? Where are we? And in the same way, it's not like God didn't know what Elijah was up to. You know, like Matt said last week, Jesus knows what's up. (laughs) He had to have Elijah confront that question. And maybe that's the question that, that I need to be confronted with, or you need to be confronted with too. What am I doing here? At this point of my life, in in this situation. Okay? Goes on to to say this, uh, verse 10. This is Elijah's answer. I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. I think he's being a little bit overdramatic here. Okay? But that was his response to God. Why am I here? Because Israel is fouled up. I'm not. I'm doing fine. I'm walking with you like I believe I ought to be walking with you, but nobody else is. And I'm, I'm, I'm the only one left. And, and they want to kill me. They want to eliminate me. They're coming after me now. 
Now, I love how God responds to this in verse 11. He says, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. So he says, get out of your hole, Elijah. And then it says, behold, and all these things happen. All these things happen. And here's something we sometimes miss at this part of the story. Okay. And we're going to see in a couple of verses what we just, what we might have missed there. He said, get out and stand before the mount, on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Now, see, that's what, that's what I missed in that story was God says, get out of your hole, Elijah. And then I, I always pictured Elijah, okay, coming out. Whoa, look at that wind. Man, it's eating up rocks. That's amazing. Woo. Don't see God in it though. Ooh, earthquake. Oh man, ground shaking. It's cool. I'm rock surfing. Don't see God in that. Fire. Wow, fire. That's amazing. Fire's cool. But God's not in the fire. But no, the whole time he wasn't even, he didn't even come out of the cave. The whole time all that was happening, he didn't even listen to God and go check that out. He just sat in his hole, expecting God to show up. And I wonder how often do I do that? When God tells me what to do, and I ignore Him, and I say, no, I want you to show up in the way I think you ought to show up. And then finally a whisper, this gentle little sound. And Elijah went, oh, I better get up. Did you notice he wrapped his face in his cloak? Because he remembered the story of Moses. He remembered. He couldn't look on the presence of God and live, so he wraps his face up in that thing, (laughs) comes out of the cave, and and says, "I, I think I heard you, God. I think I heard you. And behold, there came a voice to him, and it said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said... Does this sound familiar? I have been very jealous for the Lord and the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even only I, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. God's like, yeah, I heard that. Isn't it funny how we just kind of get stuck in a rut? Interesting that, that vinyl LPs, are making have made a comeback, you know, and everybody, all the audiophiles really like listening to music on a 33 and a third uh, record now. And you know what those do once in a while? They get stuck, you know, and right about your favorite part of the song, the needle gets stuck, and then it just it repeats again and again. And you got to go up there, and, you know, don't slap the needle, but gently move the needle over, you know. And and that's where Elijah was. He was stuck in the groove of the vinyl there, basically. Yeah, this is this is where I'm at, and I, and I don't like it, God. It really stinks. So the Lord said in verse 15 to him, Go and return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. Let's, let's go all the way back north again, Elijah. Get back up there where you left. When you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. 
And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel Maloah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Haziel shall put, shall Jehu put to death. The one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all that know the, all that, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So basically, what we have here is a prophet that walked with God, and then God didn't do what he thought should be done in the way that he thought it ought to be done. So then he goes off and runs far away from the mission that was at hand and finds a hole to live in, and he's starting to feel sorry for himself, which we you know, have a tendency to do, um, pretty much exaggerates who he really is in his relationship with God, ignores God when God's trying to call him out of the hole that he pretty much put himself in, and, uh, and, and then says this, I am all alone. Well, of course you are, Elijah. You're the one that ran away. You're the one that decided to go live in a hole for a while. What are you doing here, Elijah? And God responds to all of this with, Dude, there are 7,000 people that are just like you. That are just as jealous for me as you are. Who are just as excited to see the end of Baal worship and the rise of Israel to be restored back to following Yahweh. In fact, I've got three guys that are going to finish the job that you started. So let's go, Elijah. What are you doing here? As we've been uh, looking through this series and we talk about um, God as a consuming fire, but yet appearing as the burning bush to Moses, a bush that was not consumed while it burnt, we get the idea that God needs to burn something out of us as well as burn something into us. So the question is, what, did, what, did, what needed to be burnt out of Elijah? Fear? Disillusionment? Um, he, he thought that he was going to successfully restore Israel back to Yahweh, and, and he did not. That led to his isolation, and in his isolation, he fell into self-pity, which led into an individualistic mindset of faith. You see, you see the progression there? <laughs> when things don't go the way we think they ought to go, when God, for some reason, doesn't show up the way we think he ought to show up, and then the fruit doesn't get produced the way we think it ought to be produced, um, we have a tendency, just like Elijah, um, to, to fall into fear, to fall into to disillusionment, to isolate ourselves away, and in that isolation, to get totally the wrong picture of who we are in God. And and when we're in isolation, we're we're in the hole. Elijah had a self cure for this situation. The first thing was to run away from the very needed hand, to run away from the very place he should have remained. And then the second thing he did was. This is so cool. He tried to attempt a renewal in his experience with God by duplicating a past event. That's why he went to Horeb. Because everybody knew about what happened with Moses at Horeb and how God showed up there. I'm going back to that very spot. And I want God to do the exact same thing to me 
as He did with Moses. And the interesting thing is, is that when Moses was up there, God showed up as a mighty wind. God showed up as an earthquake. God showed up as a consuming fire. But not this time. So what needs to be burned out of us? Maybe it's the same thing. Maybe it's that, that same idea that, uh, well, maybe, if, maybe if, if God just did the same thing in me as he did with so-and-so, then my life will come alive and my face will, will light up on fire. The second question is, well, what needed to be burned into Elijah? And, and I would probably say that he just needed a whole new outlook on who God is and what he was accomplishing without Elijah's help. And I think the same thing is true of myself and, and, and all of us, is that, that that needs to be burnt into us, a new, fresh concept of really who God is and what he's accomplishing without our help. Because he doesn't need a single one of us. I hope that doesn't bust anybody's bubble. But he does not need a single one of us. He doesn't need me here. He can do it. But for some reason, he invites us into his passion and into his purposes. And he says, just, just watch me work and come along for the ride. And, and maybe every so often I'll, I'll, I'll say, hey, go there. Or hey, do that. But he says, I'll, I'll get it done. I will get it done. Elijah needed to be reminded of that. So his self-cure didn't work, so God brought a remedy to, to Elijah. And it was basically this, that God's working in human history is not formulaic. And, and man, we need to hear that, because we think everything follows a formula, okay? and especially faith. We, we think that there's always this cause and effect. If we do it this way, then this is going to happen. But that's not how God works. God is not limited by formulas. Okay, He steps into human history and he does amazing things in new ways, in ways that we have never seen before. He even said that through Isaiah. He said, forget about the old ways and look ahead to see what I'm going to do because I'm going to do something that's never even been thought of before. Read the Gospels and look at Jesus who was God walking around on this earth in human flesh. How many blind people did he heal? Lots of them. How many lepers did he set free? How many lame people did he give the ability to walk again? (laughs) Come on, God, do it again. (laughs) And you know, the thing that always amazed me about Jesus was he never did the same thing the same way. Oh, you're blind? Open your eyes and see. Oh, you're blind? I won't even touch you. Open your eyes and see. Oh, you're blind? Here, let me make some mud and put it in your eyes. Weird. <laughs> but I just think that's just, that's just Jesus saying, I can do the same thing, but I don't have to do it the same way. Stop looking for Jesus in places that he isn't standing. Stop expecting God to act in the way that you think he's supposed to act. And let him just be free to be who he is, to do what he's best at doing. The second remedy was this, is he helped Elijah understand that instead of looking for God's presence and power displays, uh, he should learn to find him in the quietness of the heart. Now, I know as Christians we talk a lot about having a quiet time. You know, and as soon as we say that, yeah, you need to have a quiet time, you know, well, formula, 
Well, I'll open my Bible and I'll read it. Oh, Leviticus. <laughs> Proverbs. <laughs> you know, and, and, and then we might even read Proverbs and we go, uh, getting nothing here, getting nothing. And then the other thing that we attach to that is prayer. Okay, well, I'm going to be dutiful and I'm going to pray. And we pray and we wonder why it bounced off the ceiling back at us. And please understand me, I'm not saying that reading the Bible is is not a good thing. And I'm not saying that prayer is not a good thing. But we often just kind of contain it in this this little... It's a square peg that we're trying to cram into a round hole and and it doesn't work all the time, does it? Because it's not formulaic. And there are so many ways that God can draw us into His Word. Are you aware of your weaknesses? Elijah wasn't. Are you aware of your weaknesses? I hope you are. You know why? Because that's the thing God loves best about you. You ever heard that one before? You know, if God were to just sit down and have a cup of coffee with you and say, Man, Joey, you know what I really like about you? My favorite thing about you is this weakness. And you're like, that's not my favorite thing about me. (laughs) But God says that because he says, because that's where my power is perfected. And that's where my grace is shown to be sufficient. That's where you really are strong. Because it's my strength, not yours. And and, and when we become aware of things like that, suddenly we're like, God, (laughs) show me in your word how you work in that and, and, and in me. Um, God, I'm weak here. I need you to show. You see how that brings our prayer life around full circle? So I'm learning this in my own life, is that what I need more than a quiet time is a quiet spirit, a quiet heart. Because it's only when that happens that that little low whisper can be discerned. Oh, but I'm just like Elijah. (laughs) God, show up this way. God, do this. God, you know, drop a nuclear bomb. Make it make it indistinguishable. Make it totally recognizable. Right on the right on the wall for me, God. And and he's like, yeah, I've done all that before. I just want you to hear me whisper to you. I just want you to hear. I love you so much that I gave my one and only son. To die on a cross for you. So that the gap between us could be closed. And that you would be able to become a brand new person. That the righteousness you strive for to experience, but can't whip up in yourself, can actually be draped on you like a cloak. And it's not even your righteousness, but it's Jesus. I just want you to hear that because that's who you are to me. Oh, we miss that so much because we're looking for earthquakes and winds and fires to make God show up. The third thing that uh, was a remedy for Elijah was that he was reminded that, uh, uh, that the kingdom's hopes weren't solely pinned on him, the prophet. <coughs> That God had always retained for himself a body of believers who were meant to work together. That's what happens at the end of that story. Elijah, you're not alone. 
I've got 7,000 people that are, that are on your side. I've got three people that I've already, set up, I've already appointed to continue the work that, that, that you have begun. Why just? It's going to happen. It's not up to just you. And see, there it is. We can either isolate, or we can do a really good thing and gather together in community. We, we can hang out with other people and find out, wow, you know what? They're just as messed up as I am. They're just as dependent upon God as, as I am. Um, they need God to show up in ways that, that are maybe different from me, but they need God to show up, and so do I. And then, and then God does something in their life, and you're going, that's, wow, I wanted to see that happen. You know, how many times has this ever happened to you where, where you had a friend that you shared Jesus with, and, and it was like talking to a brick wall whenever you shared with them, and you thought, well, guess I'll just go hide in my hole. You know, God's not using me to win this guy to Christ. And then some other goofball comes along to your friend and says, have you ever heard about Jesus and what he did for you at the cross? And for some reason, your friend goes, no, tell me more. And he receives Christ. What the hey? Well, that's because it was your job to plant the seed and water it. God had somebody else in mind to pull the crop. That's how he works. And that's why he forms us together as a body. And, and that's why, just as we desperately need God in our lives, we desperately need one another too. The greatest commandment that God ever gave to us was to love him with everything we've got. And love your neighbor as yourself. And you see what he was saying there is you can't sufficiently love me if you're not loving one another. And we can't sufficiently love one another unless we first love God. And that's what it all comes down to. And that's what Elijah had to be reminded of. You're not alone. What are you doing here? So, let me wrap this up. How did we end up in the hole? Ever find yourself there going, man, I'm in a hole. How did I get here? Well, maybe when we think everything rests on our shoulders, you just might be in a hole. Or when we think, well, what's my faith for? I don't see any fruit in, in my faith. Why, why even bother? Well, you, you just might be in a hole. By the way, if you go into youth ministry, I, this is what I was told when I was a youth pastor. Um, don't expect to see any fruit in your lifetime. That's what he told me. I'm so glad he told me that. Uh, because I didn't look for fruit. I just kept doing what I was doing and expected the fruit to show up later. And the fruit never did show up. I'm like, oh, fruit! <laughs> wasn't expecting that. Cool, bonus, icing on the cake. But don't look for fruit. If we're, if we're focused on fruit instead of faithfulness, we just might end up in a hole. When we start to think that the whole world is against us, nobody's on my side, I'm the only one, we just might be in a hole. When we decide that God isn't really doing anything because He isn't doing what He did in other people, you might be in a hole. Yeah, see, Elijah had a Moses complex. 
He, he thought the only thing that was going to affirm him was to have the same thing that happened in Moses when God says, no, I want to do something different. I want to just whisper to you and tell you who I am and show you who I am. Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. That's what God said to Elijah, and I, I think that's what he's saying to us when we're in the hole. Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. Sinai was a pretty important mountain, but there's another one that's just as important, and it's a good one to come back to every so often, and that's Calvary. Go out and stand on that mountain, by that cross, and remember who God is. Remember how deep His love is for you and how He poured it out on that cross. How He defeated death by dying and then coming alive again. Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, I know we're just sitting in chairs here and I'm standing up here on this platform. Um, But in my heart and in our spirits, I hope you find us rising up out of our holes. Lord, we pray that you would remind us today that the work that you have begun in us, you will bring the completion in Christ Jesus. That you're not finished. In no way are you even close to done with us. So forgive us if we've gotten to a point where we kind of feel done with you. And Lord, let us rise out of that hole to trust you to keep working, keep moving in our lives. Not in the way that we think you ought to, but in the way that you're passionate about. Lord, help us to remember that you're not a show-off, and you're not looking for show-offs. You're just looking for people that are fine-tuned to your voice, to hear your word. So Lord, bring us back to the Bible and help us to Help us to dial in. To shut out all the noise of our own spirits. Be quiet in our heart before you. And Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you that you provided for each one of us a community of fellow Christ followers. And it's really only together that we can best accomplish your passion and your purpose for the church, and for this world. Lord, I pray that we come up out of our holes today, gripping you, holding you tightly, but also extending our hands out to one another, and circling up, that we might stand to be your praise, that we might stand together to show what worship looks like, as we enter into this very, very troubled world. Lord, we pray this, that your kingdom might increase and that the name of Jesus Christ would become famous. We pray that in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.